This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. All right. So, we'll get started here. Um, happy Easter, man. Thanks, Easter. Yeah, it's crazy. Easter's not just this morning, turns out. It's like, it's like the whole day. Crazy, yeah. I know, yeah. Oh, my word. Anyone do Easter egg hunts? Like, personally, not with kids? Oh, that's a different question, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Thank you guys for coming out. Uh, yeah, I know Easter's pretty busy for a lot of people with family in town and stuff like that, so the fact that you'd come out on the Sunday night of Easter is pretty cool. Uh, I was expecting maybe like like these two chairs to be full, so this is great. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about outlines and illustrations. On your, on your uh, notes there, it says bones and flesh. That's set, that felt a little more provocative, so I went with that, but it really is outlines and illustrations. Um, last week, we talked about forming our big idea sentence or the through line, uh, at least how to go through that process, and hopefully over time, it, it'll become more helpful than it is confusing, but it does take time, and we kind of talked about that, where we're training our brains to think in certain ways as we read through our text, and even Lee and I were just talking about uh, forcing yourself to, to ignore the headings in your Bible. Because uh, a lot of times, I mean, it's kind of helpful, I guess, but um, it can be easy to want to try to steal, just make the heading your, <laughs> your through line. It's like, okay, well, maybe, but that, that's just the translator or the publisher's suggestion on what this might be about. But uh, you've probably done more study as, as far as preparing a teaching for it than, uh, than what they had in mind for that. So uh, take time to, not take time, but try to force yourself to ignore those chapter headings and the section headings and stuff like that. You'll find, and, it, and as we even lay out teaching series for Candeo and for Salt, uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just, I'll go through and I'll, I've got a filter where I can just filter out the verses and the chapters and the headings. I'm just like, I just want the book. Just give me the book without any of this extra stuff. And I'm just gonna read through that and as best I can follow the, follow the train of thought, not arbitrary uh, chapter breaks and headings and stuff like that. And it is kind of interesting because as you read through it and then you add the verses and the chapters and the headings back in, often it, they can line up a lot, right? So it's, it's not like the people who you know, translate our Bibles are idiots. Like I'm not trying to trying to portray that, but I am saying it, it can be helpful at times where sometimes a train of thought will get broken up by the chapter or the heading when, it's, when it doesn't make sense, when it really isn't true to what it was. So, um, so tonight we're going to talk about putting it all together, and really, honestly, uh, we've, got, we've got tonight, and then we've got next Sunday, Jordan will be with us, and next Sunday is really just kind of... Um, I don't know. It, it's fun just because Jordan's here, because Jordan's a fun guy. But even to just talk about, okay, compelling communication, how to kind of bring it together, and just some kind of different thoughts. It'll be, a, it'll be really Q&A style, I guess. And, uh, and I wanted to bring somebody else who's, who's very different than me to be able to kind of talk about that. Uh, but I would say, at this point, you should be in the process of... of if you haven't already started outlining, you can start outlining. If you haven't already started writing, you can start writing. Uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to pull up on here kind of what my final message tends to look like. Uh, I, I do a manuscript style, and that, not everybody does that. Some people just teach straight from an outline, which is fine. I would, I would highly, 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 I'm not making you do it, but I would just, I think you'd be an idiot not to. How about that? Uh, to, to manuscript out your teaching, there, there's really no difference between thinking and writing. There just isn't. And so if, you, if you're not able to write it down on paper in a way that makes sense, you really shouldn't expect that you're going to be able to say it out loud in a way that'll make sense, right? I think some people, it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be tied to a manuscript. I don't want to sound like I'm reading, and so I'm just going to go off the thing. It's like, okay, I, I appreciate that, but that's kind of a step ahead. Like, 
I would, I would actually rather you read something and it makes sense than try to just go off of an outline and we have no idea how any of this connects and how any of it makes sense. Uh, and honestly, a lot of times that fear of, well, I just don't want to read it, generally isn't realized. Most people don't do that. I mean, and even if you did, I'm pretty sure it was uh, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was pretty much a manuscript read by Jonathan Edwards and it you know, caused... Uh, quite a bit of a ruckus. <laughs> you know, so, so even red sermons can be incredibly powerful. But I would say as best you can, and uh, yeah, just manuscript your message. Uh, you, you will benefit from it. It'll take more time, but it'll make more sense. And you'll, you'll realize pretty quickly that, uh, that it gives you the clarity that you desire. It'll actually put your mind at ease especially when you get in front of people, nerves or whatever can kind of have, it's like, okay, I have what I want to say right here. Um, and it'll just add clarity for that. It's really, really helpful. Uh, another thing I would say too, and this, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but if, if you're one of those people who you just like need absolute structure and you're trying to figure out like how long, how long will this message actually be? Generally, 120 words is, a, is about one minute of spoken Word. Now that kind of varies from however slow or fast you talk, but uh, that's more from, I used to be in like, that was more for the radio world, like writing scripts. It was like, okay, we need to know how, how many words is 127 seconds. Yeah. How many words 20. It's up to 20. Yeah, up to 20. So, and another thing I would say as far as writing manuscripts, force yourself to write the way that you talk. Don't write the way that you write. And I know that's really hard when you're, when you're in college. It's like, well, this is going to be read by a professor, and I've got my footnotes, and I've got to use due to the fact that, and furthermore, it's like, okay, if you talk like that, great. But if not, just write the way that you talk. And, and you, you might see in, in the thing that I'll show you if we have time, uh, my, my grammar isn't the greatest, and it... It doesn't read like you would want to read it in a book, but it, it works in a train and a flow of thought. So write the way that you talk. Like, just, yeah, otherwise you'll sound like a, like a marionette. or like You'll sound really wooden, you know. So anyways. All right, so we're talking about putting it all together. And, and just full disclosure, I don't follow all of this to a T every single time, but it is a really good place to start, uh, especially if you're not used to doing these kinds of things. And so... Um, first line, so we're going to talk about outlines first. So we talked about the big idea last week. We talked about the through line. And what you want to do is you want to state your big idea in the most exact and memorable sentence possible. State your big idea in the most exact and memorable sentence possible. And we're going to, uh, in a little bit here, we're going to look at a passage from James where I kind of went through this process. And you'll see what I mean by exact and memorable, all right? And this is called your homiletical idea. So this is, this is the, this is a, this has more to do with what you're actually gonna say than it necessarily does with, with your exegetical idea coming out. Don't get too hung up on the differences there. Uh, different people kind of have different philosophies about that. But uh, state your big idea in the most exact and memorable sentence possible. And then... And then de determine the purpose of your message. Like, determine the purpose. What is it that you want your audience to walk away with? And what would their lives look like if they took this truth and applied it to their lives? Like, what, what do you want your audience walking away, knowing, doing, thinking? Like, what's the purpose? If you go, okay, if, if the people who heard this message walked away with this, that would be a win. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll show you kind of what that might look like uh, with the James example. So determine the purpose of the message. That's kind of, that's kind of giving you so, yourself your target a little bit. All right, so consider how to develop the big idea in a way that supports the purpose of the message. So once you've kind of narrowed in your, your memorable big idea, and then you've determined the purpose of the message, think through how you can, from the text, like with the flow of the text, with the thought of the text, with all that stuff, develop the big idea in a way that supports the purpose of the message. Now, what can happen if you don't 
if you don't, uh, if you don't do it in this order or if you don't think through your outline in these ways, um, you can end up having, having your points of development not actually be supporting the purpose. And, and here's how this could look. So, so Saul Company is going through 1 Corinthians, right? And so 1 Corinthians 14, this was um, last, not last week, the week before last week and then the week before that. So all through chapter 14, it was basically on speaking in tongues and on prophecy within the local body, right? So 1 Corinthians 14, if the purpose of 1 Corinthians 14 coming out of 1 Corinthians 13 is to show how love, right? That's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the highest spiritual gift that you should strive for. Like love is the superordinate spiritual gift, which would mean that any other extraordinary spiritual gifts have to have to come under the authority, you could say, of love, of love for the body, and, be, and, and that love would govern all the, all the other expressions of spiritual gifts for believers, then it wouldn't make sense to make the main point of your message of 1 Corinthians 14 be about finding your spiritual gift. Though that could be helpful, though certainly that's good to be able to identify uh, how God's maybe uniquely wired you. Like the point of 1 Corinthians 14 isn't so much that you walk away going, oh, now I want to take a spiritual gifts test. It's like, no, actually, you've already been told what the greatest spiritual gift to strive towards is, and that is love for fellow believers. Now, there's ways that, that that love expresses itself in unique ways, which is great, but what they were doing is they were abusing extraordinary giftings, you could say, tongues and prophecy, and they, they ended up loving themselves and their expression of their gift more than they ended up loving the, the body, you know? So, though, find, finding your spiritual gift is great, and it's fine. Like, it can't be the main point of your application, right? Because, like, you've already been given that in the text. It's love, and so don't let these things take that over. So that's kind of how that looks. So consider how to develop the big idea in a way that supports the purpose of the message, not something that, that supports like the main purpose and the main you know, homiletical idea of your message. That's not to say you can't have uh, interesting tangents, but I'm just saying like you gotta be really careful with those because pretty soon tangents turn into rabbit trails and rabbit trails turn into, you don't even know where you're at after a while. All right, so outline the message. All right, and so here, here's how this looks, okay? It's really easy to kind of like state these in a list and go, okay, now do this, now do this, now do this. I, I just want to show you kind of how this could look using an example from James chapter one, all right? So James chapter one, verses two through eight. So let's just pretend that this is the text that we're gonna teach. All right, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, so hopefully this shows up well. I tried to, uh, see that? I tried to keep the text and then, that took me longer than it should have, okay? So at least pretend that you're proud, proud of me. All right, so we're just gonna go through these steps here. So state your big idea in the most exact, memorable sentence possible. Now, whether you agree that this is the most exact or most memorable, that's up for debate, sure. But uh, homiletical idea, standing firm on shifting ground. So as you read through the text, it's like, okay, count it all joy when you face various, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds, it produces this. If you lack wisdom, do this. Uh, the verse six was really kind of, helpful in the thinking through the shifting part where it's like um, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that it's driven and tossed by the wind. There's a shakiness to it. So that, that was kind of the thought process that I had. There was a lot more than that, I guess, but, um, but trying to just really synthesize that down, standing firm on shifting ground. And I'll show you how, uh, how, how this can, 
this can in, impact your introductions and stuff like that, and you'll kind of see it. It's kind of actually a lame introduction, but um, you'll see it in just a second. So, so now we're still, uh, <laughs> it's all fitting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so for the purpose, all right. Um, so what do, I, what do I want my audience to do with this, with this passage? Well, and now clearly run-on sentences are acceptable, at least in my example. My audience should have confidence in God to give them wisdom when they face trials because they know that their trials are not meaningless but are means of making them more like Christ. We should have confidence that God will give them wisdom. That's verse 5. Gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to them because they know that their trials are not meaningless, but are means of making them more like Christ, which is verses, um, which is verse three, really. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Like testing produces something, it's not meaningless, it has a purpose. And that purpose and that steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like that is progressively making you more like Christ. So that's kind of where that, that's kind of how you could do that if you're looking at a text going, okay, what is the purpose? Like, and it's, notice that it's still all coming from the text, right? It's just, it's just a matter of taking the time to kind of think through it. And, and I'll say it's really easy to sit here and like just read it off. And I, but I don't want you to think, oh, it, it, took, it took three minutes to do that. No, it didn't take three minutes to do that. It took a while to actually do that. You're just seeing the end result. Okay, so don't feel like, oh, I'm so stupid because I can't just look at it and then get that. It's like, well, I didn't either. It took a long time, so, yeah. All right, so, okay, um, here we go. La, 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 consider how to develop the big idea in a way that supports the purpose of the message. So if the purpose of the message <laughs> is that my audience should have confidence in God to give them wisdom and that they would know that their trials are not meaningless but are means of making them more like Christ, uh, I could make my first point B, we can be joyful amidst trials because we know that trials have a divine purpose. Now, what, what I would maybe suggest, uh, unless your passage just absolutely gives you the, the freedom to do this, uh, what, I, what I would suggest is as much as you can, just try to go through your, pa- like, like just walk through your passage linearly, right? Kind of from like, off the bottom, I've got these verses. I'm just going to kind of walk through them. Now, there's a million ways you can approach a text, and you can start in the middle, you can start in the top, you can start at the end, you can do all this. You, you can turn it into figure skating pretty quick, right? But I would say, like, as you're starting off, just force yourself to trust the text, like, trust the author, trust the inspiration of Scripture, and just walk through it. And let your, let your outline kind of reflect that as you go through. So you can see... We can be joyful amidst trials because we know that trials have a divine purpose. That's chapter one, verses two through four, right? And we kind of talked about that a little bit, and that's kind of the end of the purpose statement. Uh, We know that trials are not meaningless. So if that's kind of my point number one, and I'm trying to think, okay, so how do I then develop the the sub points here? Pretty soon I'm going to run out of room, all right? But... Christ followers can expect trials in a variety of ways. Like so, sometimes the reason we don't, we don't know how to deal with trials is we didn't actually expect to have trials, right? It's like when you meet trials of various kinds, not if, it's when, because we will expect it. Christ followers can expect trials in a variety of ways. That's verse two. Trials strengthen, trials strengthen faith like, like, weight, uh, like weights, strengthen muscles, all right, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of, even as I'm going through this, uh, think through almost how to illustrate it a little bit, and, and we'll get a little bit more to the illustrations part. But it's fine um, to have some of your illustration uh, triggers, I guess, in your outline here. So trials strengthen, strengthen faith, like weight strengthen muscles. Uh, trials are not meaningless, but help us become fully mature in Christ. And that's verse 4. That we, may, that we may be perfect and completely lacking in nothing. Let's see here. Um, so, and this is where I ran out of room. So my purpose, is, I think, is going to go away. 
All right, so now, and I didn't know how to make these bullet points in Keynote, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> so trials are not meaningless, but help us become fully mature in Christ. So verse four, I actually kind of, is actually part of verse three as well. So trials produce, they're not meaningless, but they help us become something. And the way that they do that is they produce certain things, right? They produce steadfastness, which is endurance, and, they, and endurance produces full and stable character because you see in the verse that it's, uh, it's successive, I guess you could say. Let, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Or Sorry, verse three. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and then steadfastness, when it has its full effect, makes you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's this, there's this kind of like, because of this, then this will happen. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to draw that out and go like, here's what trials will first produce. It'll first produce endurance. And then that endurance will then produce this, right? So don't short, don't short circuit the process just because you got surprised that trials came. Like, expect the trials will happen, right? Expect that they'll come in a variety of ways because, and actually embrace them uh, with joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Yeah. Would you recommend like putting in like other scriptures that like speak into that to prove that like in your outline? You sure can. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always great. I, and I I don't do this well, but some of my favorite like teachers or favorite messages that I've heard uh, use use the Bible. That's kind of the biblical map part that we talked about. Like incorporating uh, either either other passages that say essentially the same thing or. If, if you have time, using uh, another text to kind of show how this played itself out, right? So, yeah, I think, that, I think that could be totally appropriate as long as you continue to do the, as much as you can to keep it focused and as long as time allows. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. So, yeah, and you'll notice in this, it, it really is just sitting down, taking time. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but, but just walking through the text and just thinking through, okay, how could this be communicated, all right? So endurance produces full and stable character. So that, all of that is under my kind of sub-point number one, right? Because you see, I kind of broke it up essentially from verses two to four and then from verses five to eight because that seems to be the progression of thought, at least for the amount of time that I had for this, which was about, I think it was, I think it was 30 minutes uh, was what this message was. So then I go on to, to point number two, this is just a two-point message. It's not a good Baptist message. It's just, I don't know, maybe this is Pentecostal. I don't know. Two points, not three. And it's not alliterated. I was really, yeah, making the Baptists unhappy. So I just threw all of, I just threw all of point two up there. So uh, point one, we can be joyful amidst trials because we know trials have a divine purpose. And then that gets kind of broadened out. And then point two when we don't know what to do amidst trials, we must ask for wisdom from God to give us sure footing. That's verses five through nine. And then I go through and kind of lay that out. God is the source of true wisdom in uncertain times. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He's the source who gives generously and in that God is not stingy when he gives to, to the faith-filled who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. There's a generosity in the wisdom that God desires to give to, to the faithful or to the faith-filled. So then, moving on, 2.2, uh, again, I didn't know how to do this. So faith is required if we're to expect God to give generously. And that's chapter or that's verses six through eight. Faith is the absence of cynical doubt. This, I, I remember when I was studying through this, this was actually the hardest part of my study because what I was wrestling with was I was like, I was like, man, I doubt so often. Like, what does this mean? Like, like the person who doubts is just like, I probably doubt every time that I ask God to do anything. Like, does that mean that he never does anything, you know? And so that, that was a lot of the study, and you don't see a lot of that. It was a lot of time in commentaries. It was a lot of time working with the word doubt, even, and just, like, diving into that. What does that mean? Um, and that's kind of where the 2.2.triple-I, gosh, 
Uh, Faith is the absence of cynical doubt. I added cynical in there because I knew what was coming in the last point. Cynical doubters should not expect God to respond to their request, and those who doubt are not defined by instances of doubt, but by patterns of consistent doubt. And that was, that was kind of what came out of my study, where it was like, like I want to know what, what kind of doubting is this? What is the kind of doubting that makes God not respond, right? What, what is a kind of faithless doubting? And it really was where it's like, it's like we, all have, we all have instances of doubt, but, as, but, if it, but if it's a pattern of you, if you just continually doubt God, if you ask, not even expecting that, that he could actually answer, right? I mean, that could be a really easy if you want to get to an application point. It's like, if you're asking God and you already have your plan B, like, that, why? why? He already knows you've got your backup plan already, like, in case he fails and doesn't come through, right? A lot of people kind of approach God that way, and, and God's not honored by that. Um, for that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so this is a way you could do it. It's not the only way, uh, and I don't want to pretend that it's like the easiest way. It might not be. But these are still bones, right? Like if we're going the bones and flesh analogy, like there's still bones. You've, just, you've got your structure, and the structure is great. Like you need the, if we didn't have bones, we'd just be flopping around. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. We need the bones. Uh, but we got to put some flesh on it here. And so uh, one of the things, and, the, and I thought this was a little helpful for our conversation, Leah, where Haddon Robinson, the guy that wrote your preaching book, um, he said this, and uh, if, you're, if you really just want to kind of uh, sit at the feet of some really wise teachers and preachers, and but you don't want to commit to having to read forty-page long chapters. Uh, the book, the the art and craft of biblical preaching, is it's really thick, but every chapter is like three pages long, and it and it addresses just a variety of things, everything from studying to um, to presenting, to how to think through topical versus expository, the, the art and craft of biblical preaching. I think it's preaching. Um, and this is where that comes, and it, and it draws from just, man, of a wide variety of, of, uh, of Bible teachers. It's, it's really a fantastic book. Um, but he said this, you can't treat everything in the text with the same emphasis in a 30-minute message. Like, we're getting real pragmatic here, especially if your text has lists, right? Like, you got to think through um, what, what, are, what are the main emphases of this text because you can't treat everything with the same weight of emphasis. Uh, imagine it like you, you have a certain amount of gunpowder, okay? And so, and you've got, you've got bullets and you have cannonballs, right? But you only have so much gunpowder. And so... The, 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 you, have to learn, you have to distribute the gunpowder in such a way that you actually hit your target, right? And so if you use, if you use all your gunpowder for the little bullets, like you're going to have little impact, right? So do the best that you can to use the economy of time and the economy of emphasis and weight for your really big hitters, right? Like put it behind the cannonballs, right? And so you can have, you can have little points and you can, you can kind of like chunk away at it, but... Um, but it can really be easy to try to like distribute everything evenly. And in that, you end up not making too much of an impact because you've, you've gone kind of like a shotgun approach. Um, so you can't treat everything in the text with the same emphasis in a 30-minute message. All right. So let me give my bearings here. So illustrations. All right, so now we're adding some flesh to the bones a little bit. So we've got our text, we've got our outline, and now we're, now we're trying to figure out, like, how do we fill this out? Not, not like, how do we fill time, but how do we fill this out in a way that, that makes sense, that actually makes people want to listen to it and actually connects with them, right? And I love this Tim, this Tim Keller quote. Uh, this is in his book. It's just called Preaching. I think I've mentioned that before, Tim Keller's book, Preaching. He's actually really creative, not in his book namings. So what the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. 
So just let that sink in. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds dual. Well, this, this is really kind of uh, like a, an, an Augustinian, you are what you love kind of thing, where it's like, if we only aim to affect the mind, uh, we've gotten halfway there. Because, because what, how people really function, like if you actually want to know what somebody believes, look at what they do. Don't look at what they say they think or what they say they believe. Like, look at what they actually do. What, what we actually want, we will, we will convince our minds to find that reasonable, which is why some of your friends or some of your family, it's like, like, like they, they, do, they do these things. You're like, how in the world does that, that makes no logical sense at all. And it's like, it's because it is possible for somebody to think that something's reasonable if they want it enough. Like, like the, the, will, the, 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 the desires of the heart can trick the mind into thinking that, that an unreasonable desire is reasonable. The emotions find it valuable, will place value in the things that, that our emotions want, and the will finds doable. And so what we, what we want to aim to do is we're looking to bring together both the intellect and the emotions, right? Because right now, likely, if you just leave it at the outline level and you only present it as an outline, what you have is a really well-structured lecture, which is great. Like, lectures are really helpful, important. Like, if you can, if you can interact with a lecture in such a way that it actually changes your life, like, that's great. I've had some of those, actually, and it's great. But what we're looking to do is we're, bringing, we're looking to bring together both the intellect and the emotions, and we need, to, we need to aim to teach through the brain to the emotions. Like, we can't so separate them that we start that we start treating people like just embodied brains. That's, 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 too, that's too fragmented of a person. Like, like our, our intellect and our emotions are so intertwined together that we have to treat people as whole people. And so it's easy to just do one or the other. Some people, uh, and maybe you've sat through messages like this where, where it's, it's all geared towards the brain and there's... you. The, the whoever's talking doesn't bring it to bear, like why these truths, like why these truths should actually affect you, right? Like at a deep level. And so it just stays in the brain category. Um, and maybe you're bored, I don't know. But it, it, you could do that. Or you could go the other route. Like and a lot of people do this, where you're only aiming for the emotions, where it's like you're only saying things. And it, a lot of this is, you know, geared on personality, where it's like, you can only appeal to the emotions when it's like it's not actually anchored in any truth, right? Like there's not anything there. It's just you're, you're trying to stir people up into a frenzy and you're trying to just really get an emotional response out of them without rooting it in any like deep, glorious truths. You know, what we want to do is we want to bring both of these together and, and let the emotional response be, be appropriate to the truth, right? It's a little bit of that if you, if you watched that, uh, that John Piper message um, or even the clip, I think, it was, I think just the clip was on that page, but the whole message was at the bottom. Even if you just watch that clip, it was like, it was like, like our response should be uh, in proportion to the truth, right? Like we, we should feel weighty things when the text is weighty. We should feel glorious celebratory emotions when the text is glorious and celebratory. I mean, that, that really was kind of like, I mean, even on the difference between Friday and Sunday here just this last week, it's like, like the, the, way that, the way that we should even walk out of those services feeling should be different because the, the weight and the focus is different. So we want to we wanna aim to do both, but in the right order, which is why, which is why I said we want to teach through the brain to the emotions, okay? I, I, I think I'm pretty convinced that that's... That, that, that's the right way to go. Like, go through the brain, let it be rooted in truth, like, rich truth. And you gotta believe it yourself, too. Like, you can't just tell people that it's rich and not actually feel it, right? Like, let, let it affect your mind and your emotions first. Like, let God shape the messenger and then let that shape the message where you're showing people the truth and then showing them how they should feel about it. Like, that is, that is so effective and necessary. So... 
one tool to bring together the mind and the emotions is, is illustrations. And so the purpose of illustrations is to bring vivid color to the lines of truth. I, I had kind of in my mind's eye this, this coloring book kind of analogy where it's like if we've got our, if we've got our outline, we've, we've, got the, we've defined the barriers and the edges and the curves and we've defined the structure and now the illustrations, I'm really just playing off of bones and flesh here just two-dimensionally and like we're adding color into it. Um, and helping see how things are similar and distinct and how they relate to each other. The purpose of illustrations is, is to bring vivid color to the lines of truth. All right, so this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, um, but just a few ways to illustrate. As you're thinking through your message, as you're, as you're working on your outline, and even as you're thinking through uh, how, how the flow of your manuscript should come should go out of that outline. And as you're thinking through illustrations, uh, you can illustrate through principles from familiar examples, all of these. And I'll, I'll kind of go through each one of these. I would say, as you're looking at your outline and you're trying to term, determine uh, what should I illustrate, just look at your outline, look at your big cannonball points, right? And then look, look at a subpoint, maybe one down from that, and, and try to think through, like, how could I illustrate this Point, or how could I illustrate this subpoint? What's a way that I could do that? And you don't have to do it for every single one. Now, for for two point messages, it's like it's probably not unreasonable to illustrate both because there's really not a whole lot there. Uh, at least, it's not the most complicated thing in the world, um, and it's helpful to illustrate. And there's time for it, so go ahead and do it. So think through, and you'll uh, you may see this when I show you how the manuscript landed for that message. Um, principles from familiar examples. That this is why comedians are so funny most of the time is that they'll, they'll take shared experiences and they'll put a twist on it to make you see it in a way that you never saw it before, right? It's, it's kind of like, I mean, that, that was Jerry Seinfeld's whole thing. Like, like, what's the deal with bananas? It's like, well, I've had a banana. I understand, but like, I never thought of bananas that way. You know, it's like there's a shared experience there and, and you're helping us see uh, like see it in a new twist. The really beautiful thing about this is that is that when you grab onto a shared life experience, a lot of times you can, you can use that thing to create a trigger within people that when they experience that thing again, they think about the point that you were illustrating. So for example, um, I still get text messages from people who are driving down Highway 20 and they'll send me text messages of windmills. When it's like, I just use, like I took windmills and it was like, when windmills spin in the wind, they're doing what they were created for. When they don't, they aren't doing what they were created for and connecting that with worship. And I still get people like, when they drive down 20, it's like, when they see the windmills, it, it triggers that, whether they see it spinning or not. You know, so, sh so taking a shared life experience and springboarding off of that to help them see it in a way that, that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Um, that can be helpful. That you do have to kind of walk around with your with your eyes wide open a little bit, and yeah, it, I can annoy my wife a ton with connecting things that are annoying. So, uh, so metaphors and similes. Anyone remember what a simile is? Are you teaching similes in second grade? No way. Figure of speech. Yeah, using like or as. Exactly. There you go. A figure of speech using like or as. That's a simile. In case you were going to write a poem this weekend. Uh, well, we're at the end of the weekend. So one of, one of the ways, metaphors and similes, either or. Um, uh, one of the ways that you can do this uh, is you can, um, yeah, this is like this. It was kind of like if you were here on Good Friday, um, this is just the freshest in my mind where it's like uh, God holding the universe is like you and I holding a softball. You know, and kind of like developing that and, and helping. And part of it was because the point was just so big. It's like our minds can't comprehend size after a certain point. And so bringing it back down where it's like, it's like this. And then there's, oh, there's a connection there. You know, I, I doubt anybody's gonna send me pictures of softballs after that. You know, so there's a bit of a difference. Um, quotations, I think it's kind of obvious. Uh, we really do, though, stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, this is part of why it's, it's valuable to be well-read, to, 
to not spend all of your free time watching Netflix. I'm not saying you can't spend some of it, but not spend all of it and actually like pick up a good book and read it. And, and that can even be nonfiction too. I mean, honestly, uh, or not nonfiction, that can, that can be fiction as well, where it's like one of the beauties of, of fiction writing is that you're able to live somebody else's experience and you're able to see the world through somebody else's eyes. You're able to feel what they feel. It's like, I've never met a single mother from Africa who I, I've never, so uh, Edward Lewis Wallace, the pawnbroker, it's a story about a guy who's a pawnbroker in New York who survived the Holocaust. I've never been that person, but I'm able to now understand the world through, the, through those eyes. So don't, so don't discount fiction as being worthless just because it doesn't seem like it's directly applicable to life. Like fiction is incredible, as long as it's good fiction, like you can really uh, live somebody else's life, put yourself in their shoes. So be well read and, and, and refer to that. Tim Keller is kind of the master of this where he's constantly referring things that he's read. And a, a lot of times I buy the books that he refers, you know, because I'm like, oh, dang, that was a really good quote. I wonder what the rest of it says. So there is also a way to, if your audience is, uh, yeah, tuned in, um, there is a way to educate that way. Um, connection with culturally accepted truth. This is kind of like the first one where you're, where you're taking principles from familiar examples. Um, it, it, it's a little, it, they're very similar. They're very similar. It's a little different in the sense that um, this is particularly helpful if you're talking to, to secular people, quote unquote, or if you're talking to skeptics, uh, where, where maybe they don't see the, the authority of the Bible as like an ultimate authority. It, it can be kind of hard to start off with an appeal to an authority that they don't recognize as an authority. So if you, if you refer to a culturally accepted truth that doesn't have, uh, that you don't have to be a Christian to even recognize as true, that can be a helpful springboard, uh, depending on your audience. That was a little bit this morning. I knew where it's like, okay, there's gonna be people here who aren't believers. I particularly had my sister in mind. She got a flat tire, which was a bummer, but... Um, like thinking through like how do I just take these like like you don't even have to be a Christian to believe this that this is true and then springboard off of that and give like the biblical like show how like that's what the Bible says like in connecting them it can add validity to your argument um, uh, like one one kind of thing that I've used before is the fact that we have to do anything twice indicates the insufficiency of whatever the action is so kind of like the fact that you have to take a shower day after day shows that you can't just, that, that, that one shower isn't sufficient to, to fully do what showers are meant to do once. Like there's an insufficiency to it. We have to do it over and over. Um, and then connecting that to the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Like he didn't have to sacrifice himself over and over. Um, and it, it can go with idolatries too. The, the whole CEOs, Christmas and Easter only people, uh, kind of like connecting that with, well, why is it that, that people might come to church only on Christmas and only on Easter? Well, it's because they, they're at least recognizing by their very presence that, that something is a big deal about this, even if they don't care about it. It was the same way that I don't care about baseball, but I watched the World Series. You know, it's like, and I still don't care about baseball. Um, humor, I put an asterisk here. Because he, here's what happened four years ago. Okay, here's what happened, I think it was four years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, did any of you know Stan Hayek? You guys remember? Okay, good, all right. So Stan, Stan had a, if you sat under his teaching long enough, you knew he had a particular style where it's, it's get up there, uh, tell some joke or story that has nothing to do with what he's gonna say, and then get into it, right? And like, and it was so funny because they were doing leader sermons or guy's sermons or whatever it was, and it was so interesting to me. And there was, rel there was almost no direction given to it. It was like, like, I think it was even like, pick a passage you want to teach and just go for it and show up at this date and give a message. You know, it was, it was that structured. And so uh, what was so funny, though, was that a, a lot of the guys that got up there started their message with some random story that had nothing to do with what they were going to say and they took like five minutes to tell it. And it was like, maybe it was funny. Maybe it was the general purpose of it was to be funny, you know, to kind of like break the ice. And then they would get into it, you know. And it was just hilarious. And I'm like, like, wow, like monkey see, monkey do. I mean, that's kind of just the fact that they just naturally did that was, uh, was really interesting. They hadn't been coached to do that. But humor, uh, 
Humor is such a, um, such a powerful tool for the communicator that it's also incredibly dangerous if you don't know how to use it. Uh, and this is particularly true for people who, are, who, who have just naturally great senses of humor or who are naturally boisterous or whatever. And what I would say is this, like, stay within the frame of your general personality, okay? So, so I would say, like, if you're naturally outgoing, like, expressive, stuff like that, like, like be yourself, okay? Don't, don't become this stoic. Like, like, I know a guy who, he's just hilarious in real life, but the minute he gets up to teach the Bible, he turns, in, he turns into, like, Jonathan Edwards. I'm like, you, you've never used those. I've texted him from listening a message, like, to his messages on a podcast being like, I think he used uh, behoove one time in a message. I was like, what the heck was that? Like, you've never said that word ever. But, like, you got up, you got up there and it's like, dude, you're, you're such a different person there than you are than the rest of the world. Like, um, but I would say, too, like, if, and this will take some self-awareness, okay? And so, like, if you're not naturally self-aware, ask somebody, like, am I, this might be weird to ask, but, like, am I funny? Like, you know, so, so I, so Sarah, my wife was, uh, was working on a message for a women's leaders gathering thing. And she asked me to read through the outline and read through her manuscript. And one of the things that I said was, I was like, I was like, hon, I think, I think you're trying to be too funny. And she's like, you don't think I'm funny? I'm like, yeah. I was like, no, I, I don't know. It just feels forced. Like it doesn't feel congruent with your personality. Like there, there was something about it that was like, you're trying too hard. Like there's nothing worse with using humor of like trying too hard. And then especially if like the thing that you thought was funny doesn't land. Like if it doesn't land, just move on. Like don't, don't do like, that was a joke. Like, cause then people are nervously laughing for you. Okay. So, so don't do that. Um, stay within the frame of your personality. Like try to, try to be yourself. Be strategic in its use. And here's what I mean. Um, Humor can be a powerful tool to land a big point, right? Because what humor does is, is humor like, like, uh, like disarms people, right? It, it's almost a universal language as long as the humor isn't British, right? Where it, that makes no sense, you know? But like, like it disarms people and it like brings their guard down and it, and it, it, it endears them to you. It almost, makes, it almost makes them trust you a little bit because often humor is based on a shared experience, and so, um, so you can use humor to kind of like, like kind of, I, 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 don't, I don't know quite how, like take people by surprise a little bit with a, with a hard truth where it's like, it's almost like a setup, like, like you're setting it up and then it's like, boom, hard truth. Like, and it can make it land in a way that, um, that because the guard is down a little bit, because they're a little bit looser and because they're kind of leaning in, that's what, that's what humor done well can do. It just kind of makes people lean in. Um, it can make you go from laughing to, oh, man. Like that, like, that shift can go so fast. Like, you can really bring a really hard truth down uh, in a way that, that people will be more open to uh, if it's set up. With, with a lightheartedness or some sort of humorous thing. Like I said, don't force it, and you gotta be really strategic about it, but, um, but it can be really powerful. Uh, yeah, so, I, and, I, and I don't have a ton of really great examples of this. Um, I tend to not, I don't know, I tend to not listen to a lot of like really funny teachers, I guess. Um, maybe that's my own personality. Uh, and, and here's what I say, don't, don't waste it or overdo it. Right? If we're talking about the, 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 the dynamic economy of your message, um, kind of like the pointless funny story at the beginning just to kind of like break the ice, like in my mind, that's a little bit of a waste. If it doesn't have a purpose, like purposelessness to at least anything that takes any certain amount of time, right? Now, your, your personality could naturally be where you kind of like make, make one-off comments that are kind of you know, silly or funny, and, and that, that can be helpful if done right, but, uh, but don't waste or overdo 
wanting to be funny. Like this, it's it's not a it's not an improv act, okay? And so I I, I doubt that'll be most people's tendency is to to want to try to be a clown. But um, but when you realize how humor how powerful it can be and and again, it can really play into your pride because everybody wants people to think you're funny, you know, and so it can really be easy to, to try to overdo that. So uh, this is just kind of a, a general thing as far as using um, illustrations or stories from your own life. Uh, in general, um, I'm trying to think of what that asterisk is. In general, use others as positive examples and yourself as, negative, as a negative example. Jordan Prohoda does this really well. Uh, he, he thinks through this aspect of illustration way more than I ever do as far as like, how can I illustrate this in such a way that, um, that, that I've seen somebody actually do this well? And like somebody, somebody in, in the ministry or, or a leader or something like that where it's like, like how, how can I highlight this person actually doing a really great job at this? Um, yeah, and then, and then if it is kind of like, a negative example of how maybe somebody didn't do a great job with this, it's generally better to use yourself as that example, as long as it's true, than to like end up calling somebody else out, you know, and being like, and this person didn't do this well, and this person didn't, and he talked to his wife this way, and like, and it's like, ah, it just feels weird. It just does. It's like, it be, be self-deprecating and others, whatever the opposite of deprecating is, like lift them up. You know, and use them as examples. Um, yeah. So in in that in in the book, the Art and Craft of Biblical Preaching, uh, Joe Stoll, I have to find it has a really great chapter on this, um, where where he also says like, uh, over time, transparency and authenticity and like just always talking about your own failures can, if you're not careful, can give off the the vibe like that that you're not also growing in Christ, you know? And so there is a balance to be had there, I guess. Um, in illustrations as well, particularly in stories, avoid irrelevant details. We, we don't need to know everything about the situation. Uh, just, just give people enough for them to be able to, uh, to understand what you're saying. Like, give enough details to make it make sense, but not so many that it's like, all right, come on, like, let's wrap it up a little bit here. All right, watch the time. Uh, illustrations can easily get away from you, and so be mindful. This is where manuscripting really helps because you'll actually write out what you're saying with your illustrations. Um, and variety is the spice of life. And so don't try as best you can over time. It may not be in one message, but if, you, if you're in the... If you're ever in a situation where you're actually communicating or teaching, you know, in, in any sort of like ongoing way, uh, spice it up a little bit. Like try to try to illustrate in different ways. There was one time where I was like, man, I, I've never like Jesus taught in parables. There's a lot of parables in the New Testament. I've I've never thought through like how to how to uh, how to make a point and use a use a like create my own parable as an illustration almost, you know? It was like, it wasn't great. And it, you know, cause that's not my thing, I guess. But I was like, I at least want to try it just to, just to try to continue to expand this, like how to illustrate these kinds of things. And I actually did it in this message. I'll show you, uh, let's see. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you real quick what this looked like. How to, uh, uh, okay, here we go. So, Oh, it's really little on my screen. There's Logos. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, hey, there's our teaching schedule. All right. So for, um, for all of this that we walked through with the outline, for that message, that was this. So the, the through line was standing firm on shifting ground. And so what I wanted to do, and you don't always have to do it this way. You don't always have to start off with a story. You can just boom right into the text. But I was like, I was like have I ever been in a situation? I, I live in the Midwest. I've never been in an earthquake. Like, that'd be the easiest one, right? So I'm like, like, what is a situation where it's like, 
I've been in some sort of shifting ground scenario. Well, it really was learning how to ride the L in Chicago, where it's like there is a way to ride a train where you don't look like an idiot. You know, and I did that poorly several times. And so that was kind of where I kind of talked about first time I got on the train, there weren't any seats, la la. Like this is literally what I'm writing out. And if you if you watch the message, I mean, I could give you, like I'll give the slides person in the back. A lot of times I'll give them my manuscript and I'll just write S next to where there's a slide, and they can pretty closely follow pretty much exactly where I'm at. It's pretty rare that I go too far off script, you know, in really any kind of teaching environment. Or even for the welcome, I'll, I'll write the thing out. Like, I've got notes on my computer. It's like, I'm just writing it out here. Um, so I fell right into the stranger who was sitting next to me. I wasn't prepared for the way the ground beneath me was moving, and I totally lost my balance. So there's, there's the illustration, and then there's the transition. And that isn't too different from life, is it? You're going along, minding your own business. Now I'm bringing it back to the shared experience. Like, I had my individual experience. There's a shared experience. I'm trying to get to my through line, which is right here. Today we're going to see, la, la, la. We're going to see how we can stand firm on shifting ground. There's, boom, there it is. At, at, in this instance, I was like, I'm just going to give it to him. Okay? So, read James, la, la, la. And I'll send this out to you guys, actually, when I send the, when I send the keynote PDF, because it might be helpful for you to look, look, at the, look at the outline and then just see how the, how the manuscript landed um, with what it was. And you'll see how, like, it's fairly similar. And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to copy it. Um, a lot of times, I'll write times two if it's like, and I'll bold it. If I'm like, okay, I want to really emphasize that. And so I'm actually going to say that twice. If you actually saw this in my hands, it would, it would have a lot of notes on the sides and a lot of things I ended up crossing out and um, stuff like that. Uh, answering a question, going through verse three, da, 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 verse four. Uh, to have steadfastness without a goal would be like running a marathon that has no finish line. Like, again, we talked about people don't remember sermons, they remember, they remember sentences, and so, I try as much as I can to emphasize that in my manuscript. It's like, okay, what, what are some of the sentences that might be helpful for people to remember? Um, do, 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 times two again. So here, here is the parable, okay? Imagine there are two women, Barb and Sally. Again, I'm not good at this. <laughs> and each, each, on each end of a maze, I was trying to, I was trying to illustrate the whole... Um, uh, where doubt plays into, uh, like, like not, uh, not expecting God to actually come through kind of thing. And you'll see that when you read it. Uh, da -da -da. Deafening absence. Again, trying to use evocative words. Like, and this is part of where some created creativity can come in. Do, do, do. Um, so so here, here's something that you don't have to do, if you really want to tie a neat bow on it, the way you can end your message is actually refer to something you did in your illustration to kind of bring it full circle. So at the end of this message, well, it didn't take too many times of falling into strangers on the L before I learned how to stand on the train. It took practice to learn how to do it, and the only way to get better at it wasn't to avoid the train, but to keep, but to keep getting on. Isn't that the way it is with most things? Uh, I used a, a weightlifting illustration earlier on, and you remember that from the outline. Um, yeah, so like I said, I'll, I'll send the PDF of this to you, so you, if you really want to nerd on it, you can like sit and compare, uh, compare and contrast it. But, but literally, like this manuscript is pretty close to where a lot of my manuscripts, how they look and how they read. Um, I use and a lot as, as a transition between paragraphs. I don't know why. I don't like it. I've just recently noticed that. So I've been trying to, trying to think through how do I even transition from thoughts. Um, I don't think it's in this message, but sometimes you'll actually see I'll put in parentheses pause because it's like, okay, I know this is going to land. Like I'm landing it here, and I just want to pause. I actually want to use silence as, uh, as a point of emphasis. Like I want, the, I want the punctuation mark of the period to actually have a feeling, you know, uh, yeah, so you can use silence to your advantage there too. But, yeah. 
This message was 30 minutes. So for me, what I found, and it was about six and a half pages, um, for, for my cadence and for the way that I speak and for how I write, like, I know, and this is veranda, 14, one and a half spacing, I believe. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I found if I just do single space, I can't follow it. Um, and I need glasses, so I can't do 12-point font. So uh, I found for me that it's, a, it's, uh, it's like three to four minutes a page-ish, four and a half is what it's been lately. So even like this morning, I'm like, I know I got 25 minutes. I think my, I think my manuscript was six and a half pages, and I went a minute over. So that's about that three and a half to four and a half minute range. That's me. Like, so you might talk faster or slower or have a different cadence or whatever, but that, that's what I found. Um, yeah. 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 So what I do is I, I always take my manuscript and I read it to my wife. I read it to, and it doesn't have to be your wife, obviously. Like, like I read it to somebody who I know thinks linearly because I'm not a linear thinker. I'm a conceptual, like it's bubbles and it's space. It's not like a clearly defined flow of thought. You might notice that in this context where so I read it to Sarah, and she's it. And my main question is like, does this make sense? Does that does this flow? Like, does it make sense how I got from here to here? So I do that. Um, but then early on, yeah, I would I would stand in in my bedroom and I'd put my phone on the voice memo and, I, and I'd sit it on the on the bedroom and I'd pull the drawer out. That was my that was my stand. I'd pull the drawer out and I just set it there on my socks and I would just. <laughs> I'm serious, and I would just teach it. Like I would try as best I could to imagine that there are people there, and I would teach it, and I would I would time it, and then really early on I would listen to it. Like, and that was part of my way of just getting it ingrained, you know. So I'd be at the gym listening to myself like a moron, you know. But it was like, <laughs> but it helped, you know. It helped to, it helped get it in there. Um, yeah. Anymore, uh, I read it to Sarah. I tweak it a lot, and I I probably read through the message. Uh, because I write it the way that I talk, I, I'll read through it probably six times before I'll actually give it, you know? So, uh, and generally, it, it's in there. And, and that, that helps you not getting stuck to it. It's there if I need it, but I've read it enough where it's like, okay, I, I can keep my eyes up for a whole page, and I can know when I need to flip it without having to look kind of thing. So, but everyone's different, too. Yeah, that's a good question. Any other I mean, honestly, it's not very often, though. Like, usually if, if there's something kind of funny, it's, it's at least a springboard of something I've already planned out, you know? So even, even like, the, even the Chick-fil-A reference this morning, like, that was written down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm not trying to channel... Other people, right? Yeah, yeah. Manuscripting jokes is dangerous if you, if you stick to your manuscript. You know, like you got to keep your eyes up when you <laughs> when you're telling it because pe- people are smart. Like they they'll get it. Like they'll know even if they don't know you. They'll know if like if you're trying to be someone you're not because you'll just feel awkward. You know, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, always, I always pray before I go up. Like, and that's really, and that was a Piper thing, like fanboying on Piper again, whereas like, like, I just, I really do pray. It's like, God, you've got to help me say what you want me to say, and you've got to do with it what only you can do. Like, I can't put, my, my job is to, is to give a good message, to, is to, to not give a bad message, to give a good one. It's God's job to make the message great in the lives of people. Like, and so if, if my goal is to just give a killer message, like my motives are probably in an interesting spot, um, I want to be faithful to the text, give a good, clear message, and trust God to, to multiply it, like loaves and fishes style, you know? So, oh yeah, it's a lot of that for sure. So, and afterwards too, like praying for the people after you give the message, it's like, I didn't do that for the longest time. I was like, dang, why don't I do that? Like, pray that, pray that now that it's gone out and now that it's landed on the soil of the heart, like that God would make it germinate and grow, like, and to love people enough to pray for them. Like, that, that's, been a, that's been a recent thing, you know, that's, it's like embarrassingly recent that that's been a practice, you know, so, Yeah. So yeah, well, it's 9.07. Feel free to shoot me any uh, questions you have via email or text or whatever. Next week, Jordan will be with us. And then the days after that, I believe, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's signed up uh, for your things. I'll send out you've, well, you've got the, the PDF of, the, of your time slot. Those will be recorded so that you can listen to yourself. So be sure to invite people to come listen to you.